0: When I think of Biopuzz, I really think of it as two verticals, one as Biopuzz as consumables that are interoperable with other games, and the second vertical being our own Bioverse, where all the assets that we've released are provided utility within our own game and MMORPG eventually.
1: Welcome to The Unstoppable Podcast. The official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GMGM, GM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm your host, and we've got a special episode today with an entire team, the Biopills founding team. We've got Dr. Ether J, Peter, and Jethica joining me. So we've got a squad podcast today, and we're gonna dive into Web3 Gaming and the Biopills project. Now this one should be really interesting for me because I'm, I'm into Web3 gaming. I'm excited to see the developments around it, but I'm also a Pill holder. I think I've been a holder for maybe eight plus months now. So I'm stoked and I just want to say welcome to everybody. Hi. Before we started this, you all said that the last podcast you had done was pre-launch. So you've got a ton of developments going. I mean, there's been so much has changed in, in the last year in the NFT world. So this podcast should be a great refresher for your whole NFT community and all the pillagers out there, right?
2: Yes. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hi, Josh. Thank you for having us. We're very excited to do this now.
1: I'm excited, too. Well, you all kind of know who's going to take these questions. But the first one I want to throw out to the team is, can you walk me through how you the original like concept of BioPills came about and how you got into crypto in the first place and, and how that led you and the team to building out this NFT community and the game that's coming.
0: You know, I got into the crypto space of back in 2013. You know, I heard about Bitcoin. I heard about how easy it is to you know make transactions uh, almost pretty instantly and with low fees. And that's something that really attracted me to the space. And since then, I've been watching it. That's how I kind of discovered NFTs in in late 2020, almost like October, November. And I got introduced to NFTs through digital art. Actually, that's how it all started. And immediately it clicked into my brain like how digital art is just like scratching the surface of nft technology and how much more that could be done with with that technology so back then in the early days before avatars uh, one of the big hypes was like uh, you know digital wearables and interoperability i I really liked that idea especially because i was a gamer uh, back in the old days, I <laughs> was a heavy gamer, but you know, digital wearables was a big thing, and a lot of people, you know, spend money on it and all that. So I think what really clicked is like, how what, what other things are important in a, in a game, and uh, it's not just uh, you know your avatar or your or your wearables, but also uh, you know your weapons, your consumables, all these types of things. And so th- that's really how BiPills kind of came to be. I spoke to George, uh, Doc, and Jessica before BiPills, and kind of. They already had their own studio. they were already working on many really cool and awesome stuff. So I thought they were like perfect for the space and kind of just explained it to them and uh, they were on board. And that's kind of how it happened. You know, the focus was initially on uh, consumables and interoperability and bringing that to, to blockchain gaming. Since we do have multiple people on the pod, I just want to make it super clear who's who. So,
1: Peter, I just want to say you are the one sharing that you're the founder of BioPills. So maybe before we go a little bit further, let's just get everyone to just quickly say their name so we can really easily understand who's who while we're talking.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the doc, uh, a lot of people has heard me uh, have heard my voice on Spaces already. So, yeah, that'll be me.
2: Hey, I'm Jessica. I'm the lead artist on the project. And I think that's the first time um, doing a podcast.
1: Peter, thanks for that. Thanks for that breakdown. And so you mentioned you're you're a gamer and you, you started thinking about the interoperability and composability of NFTs and how they really lead to working well with games. But why did you want to work at the intersection of Web3 and gaming?
0: I was a heavy gamer of uh, RuneScape. I played a lot of RuneScape back in the day, and uh, one of the big things I noticed back then is that there was a lot of demand for uh, people buying the in-game currency on like third-party marketplaces, right? And it was it wasn't really considered quote-unquote legal. Like you would get banned if you were caught buying these items or buying even uh, characters that are fully leveled up and all that. And it just you know, with Web three, it just makes so much sense that all these items are actually tokenized and people could actually have ownership over them and easily trade them if they want to without really having to go through you know the hurdles of going through a third party and facing uh, potential bans and all that so that idea to me was like what really excited me about the space Uh, having all these digital items you actually have true ownership over them over the blockchain uh, as tokenized items that you could trade very easily on like OpenSea or other marketplaces so Uh, That was something that was very exciting. And another thing is, you know, with Web3, there's always, I think the most important part of Web3 is the community itself. So you have a community that you're building the game around and you're taking all these feedback and suggestions of the community and uh, implementing them in the game. So it feels uh, more wholesome, like everyone's really working together to make something and a a full product. So yeah, I think really that's why I wanted to get into the space and what attracted me to the space.
1: Yeah, I, I wrote a, a Twitter thread on Web3 Gaming and did some research on RuneScape, actually. You can still go on eBay today and buy RuneScape Gold for like US dollars. And I, I then even found an article from the, the Economist. And back in 2009 in Venezuela, people were using RuneScape Gold instead of the local currency because of how volatile the Bolivar was. So it's pretty crazy that like that idea of in-came currencies, especially with RuneScape specifically we started to see the foundations that a lot of people like you are thinking about in gaming by adding your own token on top of it. And it's so cool to see the developments over the years.
0: You know, I think RuneScape is really a, a very good example of a game that if you just put on the blockchain would be so successful because it had it had the in-game economy, it had the complexity behind that. It had, it had the fun factor, the demand, the supply. Like, if, if you were just able to tokenize all these in-game assets, uh, that would be, in, in my opinion, one of the best like Web3 games right now, right? So it's really awesome to see. And uh, it's crazy that the people are still buying and selling uh, RuneScape Gold on eBay. And that just tells you how, that there's there's massive demand for, for these things. And if you just make make it easier for the consumer or the player to, to go through these processes, the demand is there.
3: Yeah, and if I could also chime in on that question, the fact that, coming from a more of the technical guy here and coming in from like how, you know, game studios build games and how things work aside from the fact that things are tokenized. You know, you had these team of game designers, developers, and actual 3D artists sit together in a room, you know, they just brainstorm, come up with ideas. Like now I feel like this room is Discord. You know, like everyone is giving out out ideas. Sometimes we scrap features, rewrite them in different ways because of how how the community said they wanted something or felt this should work, you know, it's just so nice to see. And it just helps you build a much better product for the community because they know what they're expecting and we know what they want, you know, and we're working incrementally together. So we're just not developing something that we're not sure if the community is going to like because as we're working on it, we're getting feedback and we're improving and hopefully trying to adhere to most of the community. So yeah, that's really nice to see in terms of the development part of the actual project.
1: I don't know too much about game development, but I would imagine that with some of these Web3 games and NFT games we're seeing and and Biopills really being a good example of this is how, how many games have been built with that community feedback from the beginning versus the traditional way was probably always... The, a team builds a game over a series of years and then just releases it. And that's the first, once it's released, is the first time you get that feedback. But you all have been getting feedback along the way ever since your first NFT drop.
3: Yeah, and this is what we love about it. And I mean, in terms of development perspective, this is one thing that the, we had to speak speak of and let the NFT space know about because in reality game development takes time and I think you know that a lot of people know that and it's complex features have to be written properly you want to avoid bugs you want to deliver a proper deliverable for people to enjoy especially when there's tokens and earning mechanics and all that and everything's intertwined so when you have different features coming in and different community feedback coming in you will have to take your time and just add higher your features you know start changing things here and there adapt your game and make it work the right way. And this is why we don't usually release lots of footage from the actual Bioverse, because we're trying to bring in the most important feedback we got from the community, put it in before we release any in-game footage. And for us, that's the priority. I mean, we could have just released a simple Bioverse based on what we thought was perfect without the community's feedback. But that would have been, you know, what the community wanted. So and that's why we usually take more of our time in terms of the game development aspect of things. And we think it will pay off big time, hopefully in the future.
1: So, Dr. Ether, you kind of mentioned the timeline uh, of building. Now, does working with the community extend the timeline of game development? Or like, how are you thinking about when the the first version of the game is going to be out? Are we talking months? Are we talking years?
3: Hopefully we're talking months for our first version of the game but and that's when we talk about different versions that are coming it's not going to be only one version but we want the community to see something to feel something and you know just get into that game and then we can start adding and keep on like updating the game but you know we just don't want them to wait multiple years uh, until they see a first version because that wouldn't be fair but that's the thing that we wanted to discuss and the complex thing about game development. Sometimes in studios, in traditional studios, when you have a feature list, you know that feature list is set in stone. The reason why it's set in stone is because any change in that feature list might affect the whole list, might affect any other feature dependent on that feature. And then the team will have to rework a lot of things. You know, Deadlines are going to change. Timing is going to change. And this is why we're shifting towards this no-deadline way of doing things because we think that if we want to take community feedback, add it into the pipeline every other week or so, and then switch things up depending on, you know, these uh, these changes that we're getting from the community, I think it might extend the timeline a bit, but that's only for the benefit of the community and for the actual game. I mean, we could just disregard all this feedback, develop on the old timeline, you know, and just deliver something which is not what the community wanted. So we we would prioritize having everything ready for the community rather than just like crunching our timeline. And of course we prioritize uh, quality. So we want such a good quality game to be out there.
1: Yeah, no makes sense. And Peter, I want to come back to you with a question. You, you mentioned interoperability now why is gaming so poised for disruption by NFTs? Is it that interoperability aspect? And if so, like what makes you so excited about this idea of interoperable game assets? I feel like BioPills really came out from the jump and said, our NFTs are going to be consumable in the metaverse by like all games or many games, not just the one we're building. And so I feel like you guys have put a, a big emphasis on that. And I want to kind of hear from you. Why is that aspect of crypto and Web3 so powerful for gaming?
0: To start, I think like having a digital item, uh, like a like a pill that acts as a consumable in one game, we're just limiting it. If, if it's not in Web3, it's on a centralized game server. That item is just for that game. And the, the utility that's provided to that item is going to be limited to what that game provides. But uh, with Web3, you know, we, we just increase the potential of that one item. It, it doesn't have to be just a consumable in your game, but it could also act as different types of uh, consumables in other games. And maybe not just consumables. Maybe like we've seen with some talks with our with our potential partners. For example, a biopil could, could act as bait for a Venari in the game of Legends of Venari, for example. So it could, it could take many different shapes and forms. And uh, just adding on to that value of that token... Uh, at the same time, you know, it could act as a way to provide access to to other parts of the game and not just, you know, a consumable itself. But for example, pill holders have been getting drops uh, the past year since we've launched, right? So uh, that is just like, a, in my opinion, an added value to owning a game item that's supposed to be just a consumable. But you're actually now getting, uh, you know, eventually you're going to be getting a trip token with that. You're going to be getting some drops. You're going to be getting access to other games that could also be uh, that could also provide uh, drops to to that asset and then you add another layer to that of of access to like merch and all these types of things so really the the potential is unlimited when it comes to a game item uh, or a digital item in general and that's really what makes it exciting it just opens up the opportunities for so many ways to integrate uh, an nft not just in your world but also other worlds and uh, Promoting not just your world, but also promoting other worlds as well. So, you know, it, it fits the Web3 ethos of like a community building together, trying to create this ultimate open metaverse that is interconnected, you know? Yeah. And have we ever seen
1: uh, an in-game asset that has utility in other games before? Like, I mean, it it, it just seems like it was never possible in any Prior Web 2 game. I mean, anyone that's on a console, any computer game. I mean, there's never been an in game item that's usable by basically any other game before, right?
3: No, we haven't. And, you know, this is where it also allows us, you know, it's just like these, in the traditional world, again, there's this these SDKs, these software development kits that usually people would take and use to build upon existing games. And I see the pills and any, like, consumables and the metaverse and our Web3 ownership, it's basically opening this SDK for any other game that would like to integrate pills. Like, even if we collaborate with a specific... A number of projects you could have any other project that really didn't have any communication with us they could link to the blockchain and tell their communities you know what if you guys own pills you're going to get power-ups in our game and they could just develop on the pills in their game they don't even need our permission and this is what's so nice about web3 and this adds to the interoperability factor It's just everywhere it can happen easily and it's just amazing really
1: that's awesome i i think it's really exciting and it It just opens up the opportunity for how far these NFTs can reach, right? Like the the more partnerships that are enabled, um, the more different communities you get involved. And all of a sudden, these NFTs can take a life on their own outside outside
0: of the Bioverse. Exactly. And and just from a gamer's perspective, like imagine, you know, you spend your time, effort and skill into one game and and, uh, you unlock or earn a certain item that could not just be used in that game, but also knowing that you could go and use that same item in other games. It just, I think it adds more exciting factors to to gaming. Uh, for example, we're still in early talks, and this is by no means an alpha leak, but for example, uh, with Legends of, uh, of Venari, one of our partners, uh, you know, their game is all about capturing Venaris using bait. But imagine you're able to capture a Venari in their game and then bring that uh, captured creature back into the Bioverse that you could use as a sort of pet or, or a, a beast in some way, right? A companion. So... All of a sudden, just capturing that creature becomes so much more exciting because, you know, it has utility in other games. And that's really what makes uh, Web3 gaming just so exciting from a from a gamer's perspective. Yeah. And so we just talked a lot about interoperability. But are there
1: other aspects of gaming that people are just not talking about enough when it comes to Web3
0: and NFTs? To that question, I would say interoperability itself. I, I know there's probably other things, but I know a year ago that that was really a focus on, uh, in Web3 interoperability, digital wearables. We've introduced consumables. That was a big thing, and and now what we're start, we're starting to see is more of a shift to each project trying to build like these metaverse silos. The conversation around interoperability has 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 decreased since then. Like it's not getting as much attention as it deserves because i get the reason why everyone wants to build their own metaverse and their own like metaverse silo to to increase their you know to grow their ecosystem and provide more value but if we could you know bring back the focus and shift to interoperability and how we could interact with these nfts across these different worlds all of a sudden we're really providing value across the whole ecosystem so uh, to me i think we've kind of lost touch of this uh, recently hopefully you know where we could bring that conversation back and focus on that because I think it's one of the, a very important utility that comes with uh tokenized assets. Yeah. I wonder
1: if that's partially because people are just starting to focus on building the game itself. And especially during like a market downturn, before you start figuring out what other, like the the five other projects that you need to integrate with, which may not be around in a year's time, you have to focus on building yours first. But you you all have had such a, a head start on, on the building and such positive community support that maybe you're able to branch out and think about partnerships more so than other game developers. But totally hear you. Yeah, we... Let's bring the conversation back to
0: interoperability. <laughs> we're also going through the same thing. You know, we're developing our game. So eventually, no doubt, we're going to be looking to not just have pills as consumables in other games, but we also want to integrate other projects and their NFTs into our world. And we could only do that once we have a fully developed game. So, so I completely get that. As long as the, the conversation still there, people are still open to that idea of interoperability and not just looking at creating a closed game loop. I think that that's really just uh, just the important part here. Makes sense. Well, let's
1: dive into everything biopills, and then we'll get to some community questions later on in the pod. But to start off with, can you just hit everyone with like what when when you started with the pills? they're the consumables of the metaverse did you have the vision for all the other assets that came on later the land the craft, the vapes apostles keys and i'm sure there's gonna be more but did you have that vision fully fleshed out from the beginning or was the idea really just focused on pills when when the project launched
0: initially our focus was on pills as consumables in other games but at the same time when we created the pills we had an idea. We, we basically knew that at one point, we're probably going to have to pivot into creating our own game, given our team is already a team of game devs with experience. So uh, we, we wanted to keep that flexibility there. And so that's why, if you notice in the BioPills, the pill tops are actually like terrains of, of games. And we were able to kind of introduce that in BioLand. But initially, it was mo- mostly about consumables. Then we realized after talking to several partners that we were actually very early I- in the space. So a, a, a lot of games... We're still in the idea phase. They haven't been developing. I think now we're starting to see games starting to be developed, but of course that takes time. So when we noticed that we were still early in the space, we 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 needed to make a quick pivot here and uh, make a change to to stay relevant in the space, especially in a very fast-paced uh, space that that continually changes probably every week. That's when we really decided. All right. We have the assets to make this possible, the human resources. uh, So let's go and create our own utility for our own pills uh, as consumables. And that's where Bioverse came up. And when we started Bioverse and the idea that all of a sudden opened up a whole list of possibilities that we could introduce to our ecosystem. Uh, And that's where, you know, apostles came in, Biocrafts, uh, the land itself. So... When I think of Biopause, I really think of it as two verticals. One, as consu- Biopause as consumables that are interoperable with other games. And the second vertical being our own Bioverse, where all the assets that we've released are provided utility within our own game and MMORPG eventually. Yeah, no, makes sense. And
1: what other games can they be used in right now? How many can they be used in right now? And if you had a North Star goal for how how many
0: games they'd be interoperable with, what are you shooting for? Right now, one of the games you could use them in is Galaxy Fight Club. So uh, you could go into their game and have a buy pill in your wallet and you have a consumable that you could use once per round. We're also very close to launching the you know our announced partnership with the Legends of Venari. That's where pills will act as baits to capture exclusive uh, uh, venaris or creatures in their game so those are two use cases right now we we, we also partnered with shibi clash uh, i know they've made some changes and we i've talked to them recently and uh, that's the, it's one of their main focuses is also bringing utility to biopills in their game but yeah like i said it's still early a lot of games are still in development so it's hard to see that benefit come to fruition right now but i i'd say in a year's time you're going to see a lot more announcements when it comes to uh, game partnerships and direct utility as for what games we'd like to see them in i mean honestly all the games <laughs> in, in the metaverse any blockchain game and not just game but also a social metaverse like decentraland or or somnium space because pills you know they also act as visual alterations right they could enhance your experience in the metaverse for example you're watching a concert you you could all of a sudden enhance that experience by maybe consuming a pill but in a game world you could get that experience by getting a power-up or something so In my opinion, any game that is out there, that is open to interoperability, we'd love to partner with them. And uh, so, you know, obviously that includes uh, games like Illuvium, uh, the other side eventually, big time. And we're actually in talks with them as well. The Red Village, we're in talks with them as well. So as many as possible would be my short answer.
3: (laughs) And like I said, it's an open uh, ecosystem. When the pills have their, you know, their solid foundation in this world, we have our world, I mean, a lot of people relate to pills, you know, the actual uh, notion of pills, the fact and that they have a solid foundation in the Web3 space, you're going to have a lot of teams and games integrate them without even communicating with us, you know, and that might, like, raise the bar for uh, interoperability in general and the actual integration of the pills ecosystem in other worlds
1: totally. Let's talk about metaverse land. You have bio land, but before we jump into that, like can you give me a high level why is metaverse land valuable?
0: That's a very good question and honestly my answer to that is how valuable is the platform the land is in initially. You know, anyone could sell land, but what really is a digital virtual land? It it, it depends on what the platform is. Uh, in Decentraland, land over there allows you to create experiences uh, and build uh, you know build and create experiences in their world in sandbox land land means that you could build games in their world but but what is the value of that land it, it ultimately goes back to how many users are really playing Decentraland? land how many users are playing sandbox you know is it scalable is it being adopted and that's really where the value of land is and its specific utilities you know it depends on the on the platform i mentioned two examples we took a kind of a different approach there but it all goes back to how successful the platform is itself. yeah.
1: so do you see these metaverse lands competing with one another? A piece of feedback I feel like I've heard is people talk about NFTs as scarce and you know metaverse land is scarce, but you kind of just mention it when anyone can make Metaverse land. you know the, actually making a digital digital land isn't scarce. What scarce is the amount of plots of land within you know certain networks, certain platforms, so there's there's only going to be so many biolands, there's only going to be so many uh, sandbox lands, and I guess it's just down to the demand there if they compete with one another, it's really not the land competing, but it's just where are people spending their time
0: I think so yes. Land in uh, uh, Decentraland and Land and Sandbox, they, they're very different things. They're not really competing with each other, but which platform is onboarding more users? I think that's where the competition is, where the eyeballs are going to, where time being spent is going to. I think that's really where the competition uh, is. Okay, well, I'm going to work through my
1: list here. Let's talk about guilds then. So guilds is something that I haven't seen too many games talk about. I mean, there's definitely elements of it. There's like scholar programs, but what are guilds? And why does this make gaming
0: fun? I'm shocked that this isn't, uh, you know, done in many other uh, games as well. Because in Web3, it's already like a a, a guild, right? Like Web3, Discord community is already, in a way, a guild. A guild is just a group of like-minded people that share the same vision and goal in whatever that guild is in, right? So... In a way, Web3 is just one big guild that is divided into many different guilds, such as the Discord communities and different projects. We already saw this early on uh, in our Discord when we released land. You know, we saw people with like frigid planes create their own group. We saw people with like no man's land uh, biome uh, lands create their own group. So we already saw that these people with similar interests that share the same mindset and goals are are starting to separate into different Groups and we wanted to really capitalize on that and create uh, create this whole guild system that allows these people to not just communicate with each other but also you know play the game together and and achieve the goals that they all want to achieve together you know and that makes the game I think much more fun especially a Web three game that is already very community based. Yeah, yeah, it'll be super interesting to see
1: how people form communities around these games. I feel like in in Web two gaming the there's a little bit less communities. I mean, people form communities around maybe streamers, but in terms of being able to play together, I'd say it's a little bit less so. You, you might have a, a group of friends that you always play with and form groups in, but guilds, I'd say guilds are something we're going to see much more in Web3. And maybe this is a question for Dr. Ether over here, but let's talk about some in-game mechanics. So recently you came out and said that you'll be building on Unreal 5. And I'd like to dive into a little bit more, like why is building on Unreal 5 so valuable and important for game developers? Like why is that an exciting announcement?
3: My favorite question. (laughs) No, So yeah, the fact that we've migrated to Unreal 5 comes because of lots of factors. It's not really one or two factors. We started using Unity, and we were gonna build the actual verse with Unity, and everybody knows that the whole community was aware of that. And then we took that turn to move to Unreal, and this this came. The discussions started happening as soon as Unreal released their first stable version of Unreal Five. So they've been discussing Unreal 5 for a while now. They've released the beta and alpha, the early version, you know, the early access versions. We went in, we, we tested it out. We tried moving Bioverse elements from Unity to Unreal. We felt like things are moving in the right direction for Unreal and we really were dazzled by their technology like you have nanite you have lumen nanite is the fact that you'll be able to render as triangles based on the distance and it just adjusts triangles based on distance and this gives us ability you know to add lots of processing and achieve the realism we've always dreamt of and this is our main goal here the bioverse isn't just a nice and playable game it's a really nice looking game and this is what we're really trying to aim for. We want it to be as realistic as possible. We want the environment, the landscape to feel very like, feel like home basically for people when they're enjoying the Bioverse and when they're actually playing it. And Unreal seems to be moving into that direction. And we think the fact that Unreal released all these features now in 2022, and we have a way to go with NFTs and all that and building games, we think that this is gonna keep on getting better They're already working on M1 native support now for Macs, so this is gonna be really good. We might have people playing on MacBooks on the Ultra setting, so that's gonna be crazy if they do. And you won't be needing a crazy PC to achieve all that realism and all that. And of course, you know, like focusing on the little details of the visual aspects, and that's when. Jessica can come in. I think she can discuss that. She enjoys that the most in terms of the visual aspects. So yeah, you go ahead, Jessica.
2: You did a good job explaining why we're using Unreal. Basically, also, I would like to add the fact that the way the lighting works in Unreal and the way it generates these hyper-realistic scenes, the tech that it uses just makes it faster to get these results than any other program, which is crucial also to building the Bioverse and also the fact that you can take film assets now and 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 have them be usable in games which gives us this push in the visual style which is perfect for the bioverse
1: Interesting yeah it's it's cool to hear that you'll be able to play these games and participate in these metaverses on maybe more standard laptops but still get that extremely high resolution and like in in game mechanics this is
3: what's nice and uh, i mean we've already mentioned that on discord that our aim is to support as many devices as possible and that's why when you first launch the bioverse even in the settings just like a traditional good quality game you're going to have you can set your graphic settings to either low or ultra but For us, it's preferable to be on Ultra to enjoy the whole experience. And if we can achieve Ultra on the most devices, then really that's the ultimate goal. And I think Unreal, based on my technical know-how, I mean my humble technical know-how, and what I see is moving towards the future and how they're implementing things, I think they're in the right direction hopefully for that and we'll be able to achieve our vision much faster than we think.
1: Heck yeah. Well, okay, now let's move on from game mechanics and talk about tokenomics. So something that I know is super highly anticipated in all bio pill holders is around the trip token. And, you know, I know that this is something you guys pushed off from 2021 into 2022, as you were really wanting to make sure that this token drop is is done correct. But can you tell me what makes creating an in-game currency challenging? Like what goes into that? Because you know some people might just think, "Oh, you can just copy, paste some kind of a token and just call it something different, but there's got to be more than that that goes into it, right
0: yeah, yeah, definitely I'm gonna take this one. I think like one of the most challenging things for tokens is creating a token that's really sustainable, you know, having a good balance between demand and supply, and I think so far we've seen uh, we've seen a lot of difficulties in the space when it comes to a uh, token launch. supply is really. Uh, We've seen many examples, some that work, some that don't, you know, and you could control supply as a project owner through, you know, vesting schedules, uh, unlock schedules, and all these sort of things. But what's more important is while while everyone's trying to figure out the supply side, it's it's really important to figure out the the demand side of things. And that's really, that balance is what's going to create a sustainable token. So the demand side all goes back to, and I know this has been talked about before, is how fun is the game itself? I mean, you want people to really want to go and buy these tokens to spend to use in the game for to upgrade their player experience or their to en- enhance it or buy items. So, like you said, in, in RuneScape, people are buying RuneScape gold on eBay, right? So, they're doing that because they really enjoy the game and they want to be able to instead of maybe grind for hours to try to get a certain drop of item, they want to be able to just go and buy it on on the market. So the most challenging part is creating that that demand and an organic demand, not just one where it's like, all right, I'm buying the token just because the price is going up because that's not sustainable. You're going to almost always see it crash down eventually. And we've seen that across many projects. It's how do you make that token circulate back within the economy? And- the main focus here is to create a fun game and a way where that token could be spent uh, on many different factors and not just one. What did you learn from the ApeCoin drop? You know, I think they had a lot of positives and negatives from that drop. One thing I really learned from them is uh, is the the way they structured the DAO, both from a legal perspective, but also uh, the way it's utilized. You know, I really like that aspect of, of, of uh, their drop and how you get that utility with the governance. One thing I think I learned is it's tough to airdrop a good amount of token uh, to to the community when there is no demand yet for that token, right? So, so, I think right now, you know, the price of the token has been going down and obviously that upsets a lot of investors. But really and that's why we're taking the staking approach uh, at least initially the six months staking program for trip because we know we're still developing the game we know that we're still building the demand factors for the game so we don't want to airdrop 15 percent of the token initially where you're going to have a bunch of holders holding the token that w- without real utility so in my opinion the only way it's going to go is is down right there's no use cases for that but by prolonging that that supply factor over six months or more and allowing us to develop different aspects and sink and and faucets uh, and sinks for the token, then all of a sudden you have a much more sustainable uh, token and uh, also a a happy community. So that's why I think taking our time into not just the legal side of things and making sure we're compliant with uh, the ever-changing regulations in the space, but also developing demand factors that are sustainable for the token is is really important for us.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's I do see a lot of projects rushing to drop a token you know when token is the biggest question in a lot of discords right but it's what people want maybe because it's it can be associated with free money but at the same time if you drop it before there's utility and real use cases for it then that price is going to trend down and that could end up leading to a community that leaves because they become unhappy versus waiting being patient and dropping it when there's actual uh, use cases for it. So I like how you're approaching that.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we discussed this internally a lot. I wanted to chime in on that. And Peter always mentions that. I mean, on Discord, when we see the when token question, this is the question that we opt out of at the moment because we really know what we're trying to do in terms of the token, and I mean we've we're having constant legal meetings with the, really the ever-changing regulations, especially after what happened to Luna. You know, the thing that happened to Luna is going to add more regulations now, so they ask us more questions. So really, it's uh, it's just a domino effect on the space. But we really care more about the community and having a sustainable, long-term token. We really don't care about pumping than dumping, and, or like, uh, we understand it's free money and people will enjoy it, but we'd rather have them enjoy something long-term. And we we just don't wanna see a community that's gonna, like 80% of it is gonna leave because of just a crash in price. And then, you know, all the work we've been doing and all the project we've been building is just gonna go, you know, uh, In the dump, just because we released the token, uh, we rushed the token and it just crashed or something bad happens. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. We really want to try and build something very sustainable.
1: Yeah. No, love it. Well, appreciate all those answers. How do we feel about diving into some community questions? We got a ton. (laughs) Yeah, let's go. Okay, we can't get through all of them, but I've got a couple highlighted that I think would be would be fun to address. The first one's kind of a general general one, but what's the biggest obstacle the team has faced to date? We only see the deliverables and have no idea how hard it's been to create some of them. So, are there any big obstacles you can share that you've been able to overcome?
3: I mean, on a technical perspective, <laughs> deleting lots of code and rewriting it. <laughs> it's just uh, that the, the community doesn't see that. And let's say we were opting to deliver on a Monday, a Saturday and we release that there's, we we find out that there's something that might, you know, make the drop not so smooth or make the experience not so smooth. We are really that team that would just scrap the whole thing and rewrite it from Saturday till Monday if it comes down to that and yeah it happens uh, frequently sometimes and even now like the game we're moving some modules from unity to unreal we don't care we never mention it to the community because it's our passion it's what we're building it's the long term vision but you know these are things that take work you know if you would say to a traditional gamer a game developer why don't you move from unity to unreal i don't think he would ever do that <laughs> yeah we see, we see the benefits in moving and we don't care about the actual work that's going to go into it so And we don't want it to extend our timeline heavily. So uh, we'll put in the extra time to actually move these assets.
1: Yeah, no, super interesting. Well, sweet, then Then another community question is, how do you envision a marketplace for all these assets and resources working? OpenSea can't be the only solution, right? And so how do you think about the marketplace for all these in-game assets?
0: Yeah, I think this also touches on another question I saw from the community, which is, uh, you know, are we trying to migrate to an L two? And I think, you know, a lot of a lot of the in-game transactions that are going to take place are not going to be on mainnet because, you know, it's it could be slow, it's it's costly. So these are these are this is not what we want for especially for our in-game transactions that could happen, you know, every minute. So, you know, maybe migrating to an L2 is probably going to be uh, one of our best ideas and we're looking into it. And Dr. J could talk more about that, but also creating a marketplace through the L2 that we end up using is uh, going to be obviously uh, crucial because, uh, and it will help with onboarding traditional gamers as well, because we don't want people to to feel like they're playing a blockchain game. We want them to feel like they're playing a fun game that is gasless, that is instant, that is just backed by a blockchain and an L2 would make most sense and with that comes the marketplace built on top of that
3: yeah and the fact that we've been asked like l2 and either l1 or l2 i mean when we're developing the game it really doesn't change much because what we're doing is we're interacting with the test so, we, obviously, you know about Testnet. We're interacting with Testnet smart contracts. We can deploy them on Polygon. We can deploy them on Mainnet, the Robston network, Rinkeby, whatever it is. And we can really test the game. So, it doesn't really have to be a decision that's made now. Until the time where the game is actually ready, we can really switch it a month ahead of release. If we feel like there's a very good network that will fit our vision. We could just point it to that network, to that smart contract, link everything and everything is good to go. And this is the nice thing about the ETH ecosystem and these L2s. I mean, they all work the same way. It's the same smart contract. It's just literally deployed to another network. And it's just a different way of communicating with that smart contract using different providers. But other than that, nothing changes. So the logic in between stays the same. It doesn't really affect the development. We can really continue just like we're doing at the moment and if we see fit we're obviously gonna go for the best like best network that we see working with the game yeah Uh, my favorite (laughs) i think you know my favorite (laughs) my favorite is the ethereum mainnet it stays the ethereum mainnet and obviously if we can make it as gasless as possible and keep it on the ethereum mainnet I will try to push for that because really, I mean, we all agree that the main network is called the main network for a reason. And if you can't keep things on the main layer one network, that would be great. But of course, if things are going to not work on the main network, then we're going to have to resort to the best alternative solution.
1: For sure. And good, good explanation there. And I, I know the community is going to appreciate all that insight from you. Yeah, another one that we got from them was how are you going to attract gamers to play after many of the people who have been holding for almost a year have a large financial vested interest it seems most of the growth has been from within the ecosystem and i think this is a question that goes to really all games you know some people some there's going to be some nft holders it, within the community but that's not enough to really that's that's not thinking big enough you're going to need lots of players who don't hold any of these NFTs, right? So how do you attract them to to the game?
0: Ultimately, for everyone's uh, success, the game needs to attract players and specifically traditional gamers as well, because in the NFT space right now, it's I would say it's mostly investors, right? And not real, uh, not really gamers. But if we're building a game, we want to attract gamers. And and what do gamers look for? You know, they're expecting a, a fair player experience. So they want their time, effort and skill to be rewarded. And to do that, uh, we want we need to make sure that we don't create uh, game-breaking uh, mechanics. So, for example, our, our BioLand and our BioPills as investments for people right now, people are investing into these assets, they're going to be utilized in a way that doesn't really break the game design uh, of the Bioverse. So BioLand just acts as, uh, in a way, to its simplest form, it acts as a way to supply uh, all the resources needed in the game. So instead of a traditional game where maybe you get uh, resources from NPCs or you get them from centralized servers that are owned by the the entity, you're actually getting them from uh, from land that is owned by the community itself. So uh, that's one way where the asset holders are, are actually benefiting, but not breaking the game balance. Meanwhile, traditional gamers are just just like any other game they're collecting resources from a land uh, benefiting the game owners but the uh, the landowners while also being able to use these resources to play their game in a fair way you know another thing that we mentioned uh, we didn't really talk about much is uh, the the value of biopills uh, not just as uh, interoperable consumables but also in the bioverse how is it going to be an asset that doesn't break the balance of the game and doesn't push away traditional gamers because You know, no one wants to hold an asset that's OP because uh, at the end of the day, we don't want to pay to win game, right? So we talked about BioLand and how the the value to that is and how it affects the game. But at the same time, BioPills, we've mentioned that they're blueprints for consumables. And we really never really dug deep into that. But... In a way, all the resources that are gathered in, in the Bioverse, uh, you're going to need these resources, whether to use them directly and consume them for the different hazards in the Bioverse, or you're going to use them to craft items or consumables that will help you uh, with the game. But to craft these consumables, you're going to need, a, you're going to actually, similar to a traditional game where you pay a fee to craft uh, items. And, and, and this, in our game, you're going to pay a fee to BioPill holders that hold the traits needed for you to create that consumable. So again, we're benefiting here investors, people who are more focused on the financial aspect of it. We're benefiting them because they're getting these fees. Uh, At the same time, traditional gamers aren't being impacted by an unfair and unbalanced game design because similar to how they would pay an NPC to to craft an item, over here they're paying a buy holder. And same way how they collect resources in a traditional game, they're collecting it from a buyer land holder. So doing that really also helps the sustainability of the of the economy and the NFT holders as well, because they're actually going to be reaping the benefits of the game over a long period of time and not just through a simple like drop that inflates the prices and pumps them up temporarily before crashing back down. We're trying to create a sustainable way that uh, accrues value to holders while keeping a fair and balanced game for, to attract traditional gamers. Yeah. Can I throw a community
1: question for myself out to you? Can I ask the team to, to rate my bio pill? Sure, what's your bio pill? Let me Let me bring it up. You should be able to see my screen here. It's, I've held it for 10 months now. I bought it for 0.11 ETH uh, 10 months ago. I've got pink thunder uh, aura, the ionic orange ingredient. That's my rare trait.
2: I love that ingredient. That's one of my favorites. And the aura is uh, incredible. I love that. Honestly, it looks insane.
1: Yeah, and Jethika, you you did a lot of the art and design, right? Something I really like is the um the blue and purple gradient. It's just such a metaverse like color.
3: Yeah, that's a really good build. <laughs> From my perspective, I mean, I'm the developer, so uh, no one really <laughs> takes my design input here, but but I, I love it. I mean, it's uh I love the, this type of ingredient and I love auras in general, so uh I can't wait to see them actually render in Unreal in a way inside the game, and uh, for the community to enjoy them. So yeah, it's gonna—they're gonna look really nice with the lighting system.
1: <laughs> Heck yeah! Well, hey, I'm glad I got some approval from the team. It makes me feel a little bit better for hodling for ten months. It's been a fun one. I mean, getting the airdrops—it's—I've just really decided with this project to hold. I want to—I want to see the outcome of the game and if you could give us the like the 60 second elevator pitch on how to think through that land selection.
0: I'm going to try to break it down to its simplest form. It's, it's basically how active do you expect to be in the game? I mean, do you, do you expect to be playing consistently or do you expect to be more of a, like a passive investor that just holds land and, and wants to reap its benefits without actually playing the game? And if you're looking to not be as active, I would say, you know, being closer to towns and outposts like we highlighted in the, in the biodocs would be a better option. So to wrap this up,
1: questions I ask all our guests. The first question is, who's an influential Web3 creator, entrepreneur, collector that's inspired or educated you? And if anyone wants to share one, that'd be great.
3: Myself, it would be, uh, not really coming from the Web3 space, uh, would be Elon Musk. (laughs) It's really, for me, I mean, his his work ethic, uh, the way he thinks, the way he envisions stuff, the thinking outside of the box, really, that, it's the best part of it. I mean, I love it. It's just really, he's an inspiration. And uh, he's one of the re- these people that I've always looked up to and hope we can make uh, Biopus as big as what he's done.
0: <laughs> to me, I think uh, I would say it's Maddie, uh, you know, the creator of uh, MetaKey, uh, especially early on when I first got onboarded into the NFT space. I learned a lot from him. He had a lot of uh, great value to share. And uh, also learned from his from his own drop the the Medici itself and how he views interoperability. So that's that's my favorite.
2: I think for me, I'll, I'll mention a Web three creator, uh, Render and what he's doing with the with his world right now. I think it's incredible, and I I would love to collaborate, <laughs> we'll maybe have some of our ingredients in there. But definitely look up to what he's doing, and uh, I think it's just always pushing these limits in in Web three.
1: The second question is, what's your favorite NFT? You just got to pick one.
0: That's going to be obvious. I think it's going to be BioPills. And for me, it's BioPill 8502. I think the community knows the the story behind that pill. Uh, Definitely a BioPill.
3: I mean, and also, obviously, we have the respect to all the projects out there. And one project I respect a lot. I mean, I really don't look at even our project or other projects. I don't look at prices. I look at building and I look at how things are going. I appreciate what the cats have been doing, their developer, Extreme Tom, the way he works, the ethic he has. the I, I love his work, and he's a great developer for the Web3 space. And I think people like this can really raise the bar and keep on growing this, this field. And uh, yeah, I mean, I have total respect for these guys. And obviously, there's a lot of them, but I mean, I follow his work, and I see what he's doing. So, uh, yeah.
1: Awesome. And then the last question is, in five years... What's the craziest thing we'll be doing in the metaverse that people just aren't thinking about yet?
3: I would say that like the fact that we're seeing these technological advancements today is really crazy in in itself. And if we're seeing this today, I already mentioned that I really think that in five years, we're going to see some crazy, I mean, support for lots of platforms. You're you're already seeing, you know, these AR and VR headsets coming along now and being developed upon and becoming better and better. You can now do VR with much less powerful systems and AR is across your phones. I think it's going to be getting better and better. And maybe in five years, we're going to actually be living in the metaverse with with just barely any extra gear. And that's going to be really fun. I, I really think with the way things are moving, it's going quicker than expected. And we've got lots of talented uh, devs and designers and everyone working around the world. So yeah, I really think five years is going to be a lot of time for us to build. Yeah,
1: that's a good take. Well, sweet. I I appreciate everybody's insight today and commentary on Web3 Gaming. I'm excited to see what you all keep building. And I appreciate you sharing both information about BioPills, but also just Web3 Gaming in general. So to wrap it up, Peter, could you let everybody know how to get in touch with you and
0: the team and keep following BioPills so they can see what's next? Sure. The best way to get in touch with us is through our Twitter DMs uh, at Biopills. And if you want to follow up on what we're doing, please like join our Discord. We are always uh, in the general chat, you know, throwing some little leaks here and there. Uh, You can go onto our website, biopills.com. We have uh, an overview of all the assets that we've currently launched. And also for a lot of in depth information on the game design and, uh, you know, the game mechanics and uh, all that and lore and all that type of stuff then uh, the community has created biodogs.com. Uh, biodogs.com. Uh, it's it's a, it's a great platform and we're gonna continue to uh, to build through that as well awesome well thank you so much to the team
1: uh this has been a great conversation and if you're interested in learning more about web3 gaming Comment on my DMs on Twitter at JustWavyJ. Let me know what other projects you want to hear from. The BioPills team has been amazing. With that, we'll see you next week on another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast, and I'll catch you in the metaverse. Peace out. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And remember, this conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you and thank you so much for listening.